again to the book of Romans in chapter 8. Tonight we come to the last link in the golden chain of salvation. This is where the whole chain has been headed. Everything that God has done for you and is doing for you has been to lead you to this great reality. There is going to be a day, dear Christian, when you will be glorified. Here is the evidence that all things are working for your good. All things are working to bring you to this day, the day of your glorification. And so one last time, let's read Romans 8, beginning in verse 28 through verse 30. Romans 8, beginning in verse 28 through verse 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Friends, the whole point of this latter portion of Romans 8 is to help us see ourselves as God sees us. It is to help us set our minds on spiritual truths and on things that are above This section from verse 18 all the way now to verse 30 has been about looking to the future to find strength for today. Do you remember verse 18? Verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And remember that in that verse, we could also translate it, the glory that is to be revealed in us. And so all the way back there in verse 18, it was, look to the future, look to the glory that is to come, the glory that will be revealed to you, the glory that will be revealed in you. Have that day in your mind, and it will help you through the trials of right now. Because the glory of the day that's coming is so much better than any trial you're experiencing in your life today. And now in verse 30, Paul ends this section by showing us that if you are one of God's, your glorification is guaranteed. That everything happening in your life today is happening under the sovereign control of your God. He foreknew you, He predestined you, He called you, He justified you, and you can be sure that He will bring you to glory. And this is true if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage ought to be incredibly comforting and encouraging to our souls. And what I want to do is unpack this last link in the chain with three questions. Three questions. Here they are. Number one, why is sanctification missing from this chain? Why why isn't it there? Number two, what does it mean to be glorified? What does it mean to be glorified? And number three, if glorification is something we are looking forward to in the future, why does Paul use the past tense? Why does he speak of, well, 
How does Paul say it? And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. Why is it in the past tense if it's something we're looking forward to? So those are our three questions. Let's, let's jump in. Number one, why is sanctification missing from this chain? Think about how we usually speak of salvation. We, we, we go to eternity past, and we talk about foreknowledge and predestination. We talk about our lifetimes and how God comes to us in the gospel, how He calls us to Himself, how He causes us to be born again. He gives us faith and we believe on Him and we are justified. And then what normally comes after justification? Well, normally we would talk about this process called sanctification. We would say God is doing something in us right now for our salvation. This very moment, God's Spirit is at work within us, making us holy. The Spirit is working to humble us and to make us pure, to make us like Jesus, little by little. We have our ups, we have our downs, we have our seasons of stronger faith, we have our seasons of weaker faith, but overall, God is at work in us to make us like Jesus. Sanctification is the part of salvation that is right now. It's where we live. Sanctification is our fighting for holiness. It's our persevering in our faith. Sanctification is God preserving us to the very last day when we take our final breath with faith in Jesus. Sanctification is the part of salvation. It is the link in the chain that we live in every day as Christians. Why does Paul leave it out? Why does he not even mention it? Now, not only is this where we as Christians live right now, this is also where the Roman Christians that he was writing to were living. They were experiencing suffering, and greater suffering was about to come. And their faith was being tested by outside forces and by conflicts within their church. It is accurate to say that Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8 have actually all been about sanctification and how to live the Christian life right now. And so why in this all-important chain of salvation does Paul leave it out? Why does he skip straight from justification, which happened the moment you believed, to glorification? Well, I think it's important to realize that this whole question of security is a sanctification question. The whole question of our security and the love of God and whether or not we can lose our salvation... That's a sanctification question. In other words, everything that Paul is dealing with in this passage is about sanctification. One of the great fears that these Roman Christians would have had was that they might not be secure in their faith. What if they don't persevere? What if the sufferings that they are experiencing become too much for them and they take the easy way out? And renounce Christianity. Look look down at verse 36. Does everybody see what Paul says in verse 36? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Following Jesus could get you killed in Rome. And surely for some of these people, the temptation to just renounce this whole Jesus thing 
was a very strong temptation. And some of them worried maybe that they couldn't hold on much longer. What if in the face of the lions, what if in the face of a burning stake, where all they had to say was Caesar is Lord and they would be set free, what if they renounced Christ? Making shipwreck of their faith was a real concern for these Christians. And then at the end of verse 17, Paul had just made a very strong statement. Go back and look at that. Look at the strong statement that Paul made in verse 17. Paul said, we are children of God. We are heirs of God. We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We read over that and we, we, we just read through it like it's something quick. Think about how that sounded to the Roman Christians. It seems that Paul is saying, if you are not willing to suffer with Christ, then you have no reason to expect that you are one of His and that you will be glorified. For these Roman Christians, they hear Paul saying, if you are not willing to stand strong and to profess Christ in the face of the lions, in the face of the fiery stake, in the face of that bloodthirsty Emperor Nero, if you're not willing to suffer there, then you cannot have assurance that you're going to be glorified on the last day. You might not make it to heaven. And so surely some of these Roman Christians hearing this letter read in their church service from the Apostle Paul speaking with the authority of God, this this made them tremble in their seats. Or, Or maybe we think they probably weren't sitting. Back in those days, we think that the preacher sat and the congregation stood. And I think we should try that. Um, so probably they were trembling where they stood as they heard the word and they're thinking what if I can't handle the pressure what if in the moment of trial I chicken out what if I pull a Peter and I deny the Christ I love you see sanctification is all about persevering in the faith It's the race, it's the fight to keep the faith to the end of your life. And Romans 8, verse 18, all the way through verse 30, has been at least partly written to bring comfort to these Christians about that very issue. Paul was saying to these Roman Christians, if you have truly come to Christ, if you have truly been justified, you will be glorified. In other words, dear Christian, do not fear. If you are truly Christ. He will keep you believing to the end. You will persevere and you will be glorified. The reason sanctification isn't mentioned explicitly in this chain is because sanctification is the issue that the whole chain is addressing. How can I know that my faith will endure? Because I was foreknown by God. I was predestined by God. I was called by God. I was justified by God. And I can know that I am going to be glorified by God. And how am I going to get from justification to glorification? Jesus is going to keep me. The fact that every person who is justified is glorified means that I've been justified. It means I'm safe. And God is going to keep me holding on to Christ in the midst of the trials. The whole point of this chain is Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The whole point of this chain is Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, 
to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. It is Jesus who keeps you from stumbling. It is your God, the one who foreknew you, who predestined you, who called you, who justified you. He's going to keep you from stumbling. He's going to preserve you. He's going to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. If you have been justified, you will be glorified. Okay, question number two. So what is this thing called glorification? If that's the goal, if that's what salvation is all about, is bringing us to this day of glorification, what does it mean to be glorified? Well, we've already seen the answer in verse 29. Glorification is God accomplishing what He purposed to accomplish in us. It is His target. It is His goal. Well, what is His purpose in us? Verse 29 Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Mount Hermon, to be glorified is to be like Jesus. To be glorified is to have a pure, perfected soul and a perfected body. God is giving a people to His Son who will reflect the image of the Son. Jesus is the very image of God. When we are glorified, you and I will bear perfectly the very image of Christ. We will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. The very beginning, God set His love on us. And because He set His love on us, He purposed to bless our socks off. He purposed to give us a glory beyond anything we can imagine. It is an undeserved glory. It's the very opposite of what we deserve. But everything that God has been doing, He has been doing to bring us to this glory. We are those vessels that Paul speaks about in Romans 9.23. Those vessels prepared beforehand for glory. And so God calls us to Himself for this purpose. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why did God call you to Himself? Not just to save you from hell. Not just to forgive you of your sins. Not just to give you a peace that passes understanding in this life. Why did God call you to Himself? So that He would bring you to the day when you would obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you would bear the very image of the Son in yourself. Christ's likeness. That is the goal. God gave us faith. God justified us so that we would have Christ's likeness in ourselves. Let me ask you a question. If God predestined you to be like Jesus and He called you to Himself to make you like Jesus and He justified you and gave you peace with Him to make you like Jesus and that's where you're headed, do you really think now He's going to let you miss the mark? Do you really think God had you as the arrow in His bow and Christ's likeness is the target and he, he shot, and so far everything's been well. Calling, regeneration, justification, everything's going well. And now, trials. 
Is God a shabby marksman? Or can you be sure that when he aims, he always hits the target? Glorification includes two parts because you are a two-part person. You are body and soul. Glorification includes the perfecting of the soul and the perfecting of the body. Now, if you're still alive, when Jesus comes back, those are both going to happen the same moment. But for most of us, that will likely not be the case. For most Christians in history, that certainly has not been the case. Rather, our soul is perfected first. When we die, the Christian's soul goes to be with Christ. We see that at Jesus' death, his spirit went immediately to be with his Father. Jesus died, what happened to his spirit? No, it did not go to hell. Jesus' spirit went to be with his Father. Jesus calling out with a loud voice, Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He tells us where his soul was going. He tells the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. The moment Jesus breathed his last, his spirit went to be with the Father, and so it is with Christians. We see it with Stephen, Acts chapter 7. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Paul makes it crystal clear, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Where does your soul go when you die? It goes home. It doesn't leave home. It goes home. This isn't home. With Christ is your home. And that's where your soul will go at death. The Christian soul will be made extremely and supremely happy in Christ at death. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. Just picture that imagery. Fullness of joy. means you can't handle anymore, right? There's there's no room left in you to experience more joy. No, you're full. You're full. You ever, you know, hit the, the, the gas thing one more time than you should in your car and it comes shooting out, you know, and you smell like gas the rest of the day? This, this is you when you enter into the presence of Christ. You, you are, you're tapped out. You're full of joy in the presence of Christ. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. The moment we breathe our last, our souls go into the presence of Christ and we see Him in His glory and we are full of joy. Revelation 14, 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed, happy, favored, makarios, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. There are some who teach soul sleep. There are some who teach that the souls of Christians truly sleep and experience nothing until the great day of resurrection. That our souls just almost cease for a while. They're asleep. 
And then when Jesus comes back, they wake back up, they join their bodies, and, and things get going. But that is not the picture of the Bible. The Bible seems to indicate that after death, our souls do not go into any sort of sleep, but enter into the active enjoyment of the glory of Christ. Your Christian loved ones who have died, what are they doing right now? They are experiencing the active enjoyment of the glory of Christ. Our souls will behold Christ. Now, what do the Scriptures tell us again and again? Hebrews 12, 14 speaks of the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If our souls at death go into the very presence of Christ and see Jesus, but we are told that no one can see Jesus unless they are made perfectly holy, what does that tell you about what happens to our souls when we die? It's really amazing. In this life, I need to do this your way. If this is when we're saved... And this is the day we die. We make little, little bits of growth, little bits of growth in holiness in this life. But the moment you die, you hit perfection. In a moment, Christ does more to make your soul holy than he did in your entire life up to that point. He purifies you. He makes you holy and brings you into his presence. But here's the thing. The Christians who are in heaven right now, actively enjoying the presence of Christ, they're only half glorified. They're not done yet. And when you die and you breathe your last and you're in the presence of Christ, your soul will be perfected and you will be half glorified. But while your soul is perfected in the presence of Jesus, your body is going to still be down here on earth. It may have decayed many centuries ago. But as we've already seen in Romans 8, there is coming a great resurrection day. Jesus will return to earth and with him a myriad of angels and the souls of every Christian who has ever died. And these bodies will be reunited. And in a way that is almost Hollywood cannot do this justice. Let them use their best special effects. How would this happen But the body of every believer who's ever died is going to rise and is going to be perfected, brought back together in a kind of holiness that those bodies have never known before. The body will reunite with soul. These now perfected Christians in bodies and souls will actually participate with Jesus in the judgment of the wicked and the making of this world new. And then we are told we will reign with Christ on a new heavens and a new earth forever. That's glorification. That's where we're headed. That is the goal. That's when all will be finished. When this earth is a new garden of Eden, where you will walk and talk with God in the person of Jesus Christ, and you have a perfected soul and perfected body, that will be glorification. Now, what can we say about these glorified bodies that we're going to have? What can we say about our resurrected bodies? Well, we know they will be similar to Christ's glorified body. Uh, The whole point of this is for us to bear something of the image of, of Christ in both our bodies and our souls. But I don't think we're going to be clones of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to look exactly like Him physically but rather just as he has a perfected human body, so you will have a perfected human body. 
What else can we say? Listen to Paul speak about this in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verses 42 through 44 and then verse 49. And this is Paul addressing the question, what kind of body will we have when our bodies are resurrected? What kind of bodies will we have? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown is in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Why do we love characters like Superman so much? Why do we like Superman? Isn't it because there is something in all of us that longs for immortality? Don't we all long for bodies that will never die? Bodies that can never be injured? Bodies that can never be sick or sore? Paul tells us that our glorified bodies will be imperishable. This is where some people start to find it unbelievable. So test your faith. Will you believe God on this? God says there will be a day when you will have an immortal body. An immortal body. It cannot be hurt. It cannot be killed. The body that you're laying down in the dirt, it's dead. But the body that will be raised up will never again die. The body that will be put in the dirt is dishonorable. But the body that's going to be raised up is going to be glorious. Do you remember how Moses' face shone after he had gone into the presence of the Lord? So we're told that in the presence of God, we are going to shine. We're going to shine like the moon, right? Um, Because the moon reflects the glory of the sun. Our, our, Our shining will be the glory of God reflected onto us. We will shine like the sun. We will not shine as the sun itself, right? God's glory in the image of Christ will reflect on us and we will shine as the moon reflecting the glory of God. This body laid in the dirt will be sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. Right now our bodies are weak and frail. Many think that before the fall, our bodies were probably a whole lot stronger than they are now. Many think that before the fall, our minds were a whole lot quicker Our passions and our emotions had greater capacity for feeling joy and awe and wonder. That physically the human body was stronger, we were faster. And that our perfected bodies on the great resurrection day, these bodies will also be powerful, strong bodies. Perhaps we'll have strength like the angels have. You remember how the women were making their way to the tomb And they were asking, who will remove the stone from us? And we're told an angel of God came and terrified the guards so that they became like stone. And then we're told he he just rolled away the stone. No problem for an angel. I even imagine it bouncing a couple of times. Maybe we'll have that kind of strength. I don't know. But we do know that Paul says the bodies we're putting in the ground are sown in weakness, but that they will be raised in power. By the way, notice that Paul uses that language of sown again and again and again. When we're at a funeral, when we're burying a loved one, you should think of the graveside service that way. What are we doing here? We are sowing this body. 
we're expecting something to come back up, something better. You, you bury the seed and whew, life comes back up. Well, we're burying this body, but what we're burying in weakness and dishonor is going to come back in glory and in power. Paul says our bodies will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. The body that we put in the ground is a natural body, but the body that is resurrected will be a spiritual body. What does that mean? I do not think it means that we're going to be ghosts. I do not think it means that our bodies are going to be immaterial, unphysical bodies so that we we hover around and float around. I don't think that's what Paul means by a spiritual body. Listen to Charles Hodge. He says, We know from experience what a natural body is. It is a body which has essentially the same properties as those of brutes. A natural body consists of flesh and blood. It is susceptible to pain and decay. It needs air. It needs food. It needs rest. Uh, A natural body is a mere animal body adapted to the conditions of an earthly existence. What a spiritual body is, we know only from Paul's description and from the manifestation of Christ in His glorified body. We know that it is incorruptible, glorious, and powerful, and that it is adapted to the higher state of existence in heaven, and therefore not adapted to an earthly condition. In other words, our bodies on that resurrection day will no longer be animalistic, driven by base desires, having basic physical needs. Rather, we will have bodies fit to be true and everlasting temples of the Holy Spirit. We will have, just as our bodies today are adapted to this fallen world, we will have bodies fit to be adapted to a perfected, glorious world. A world where we will live in the presence of our glorious Savior. So Mount Hermon, here is the fundamental question for us. Do you believe all this? Can you believe all this? Are you willing to trust this book right here? when it tells you that God is working all things to bring you to this day, a day when you will have not only a perfected soul, but a perfected body in which you will live in the glory of Christ forever. And will you trust that promise enough that it will give you strength and endurance and perseverance through whatever you need to face tomorrow? Because you remember that this life is a vapor. But that world of a glorified life to come is going to last forever. Finally, our third question. Why does Paul speak of glorification in the past tense? Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Certainly the people in Rome who were receiving this letter, they had not yet been glorified in body or soul. And certainly all of the millions and millions and millions of Christians who have since the first century read this letter, received this letter, studied this letter, they weren't glorified in body or soul. Every person who has ever received the letter of Romans in their hands and studied it has been someone for whom glorification was in the future. And yet Paul speaks of it in the past tense. Why? Well, for number one, let me say that this was no accident. This was not Paul making a grammatical mistake. I will tell you that Paul was not someone overly concerned with grammar. 
Some of the run-on sentences that he writes in books like Ephesians would drive any grammar teacher crazy. Uh, He was never one that was a stickler for grammatical rules. He was always more concerned with communicating what God would have him communicate than following strict rules of grammar. All the time in his letters, when he can't find a word to say what he wants to say, he makes up a word. He joins already existing words together and creates a new compound word to get his point across. You would be amazed how many words we now use today that were, we think, invented by the Apostle Paul as he tried to get an idea across. So Paul was not an adherent to strict rules of grammar, but he didn't just make a grammatical error here. And what he did here was not unintentional. It's not Paul saying, well... All the other words I used were in the past tense, so I need to make this one in the past tense too. No, Paul was communicating to us something important by putting this word in the past tense. In fact, in the Greek, this isn't just in the past tense. It's in what we call the aorist tense. Everybody say aorist. Okay. By using this tense here in this way, Paul is referring to an act of God that is a completed action in the past. See, in Greek, you have more than one way of using speaking in the past tense. There's more than one tense that refers to past tense. Some refers to an action in the past, and the action keeps going. But the aorist refers to an action in the past, and it is done. It is finished. Paul is saying that our glorification is done. It is a settled deal. It is a foregone conclusion that this thing is so sure, it is so settled, it is as if it was in the past. Those whom God has justified, He has glorified. We do speak this way sometimes. Um, Suppose I said to you, those who walk out in traffic without looking both ways, they're dead. What what do I mean by that? I'm not referring to any particular person in the past to whom that's happened. But what I'm saying by using that, well, it's past tense, but it's that aorist tense, that, that settled action, right? What I'm communicating there is this is a settled thing. This is a guaranteed thing. Those who do this are dead, right? That's what Paul is doing here. He's using the fancy term as a proleptic aorist. That doesn't matter. It's just a fancy word that means this is a decisive act of God. Your glorification has been decreed by God, and therefore, Christian, it is certain. It is so certain you can speak of it in the past tense. This is how secure your salvation is. But then we can go further than that. You see, Paul can speak of our glorification as a past, settled reality because there is a sense in which it has already happened. Remember Ephesians 2, 4-6? Uh, listen carefully to this. This is, this is fantastic. Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, listen, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, in the past tense. Paul says there is a sense in which you, Christian, are already in heaven this moment glorified with Jesus Christ. 
You, are, you already have one foot in heaven. You are truly united to Jesus Christ. Jesus and his people are one. And Jesus is already glorified in body and soul. Jesus has always had a pure soul. Now he has a perfected, glorified body. He is in heaven. He is the first fruits. He is the very first person to be glorified. And since you and him are one, there is a sense in which you too are already glorified. Jesus is the head of his body. If the head has already been glorified, the body is sure to follow soon. If we think of Christ and his people as one new man, as one new body, glorification has already begun for this body. I can't remember who it was that used the example of a person crawling his way through hedges with sharp thorns into a glorious clearing. The hedges with their sharp thorns represent the sufferings and the trials of this life. Jesus, the head of the body, has already made it through the, through the thorns. and he's, he's, he's out into the clearing. The body is still in the thorns. That's where we are. But we're almost there. We're almost out. We're almost into the clearing. The head has already been glorified. We are almost there. And because it has already happened for Christ, it is already guaranteed for His body. So dear Christian, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be sure that God will bring you safely to the end. It is so certain and settled from the perspective of heaven that God can speak of it in the past tense. Let me close tonight by reminding you what this is really all about. Because it actually isn't mainly about us. It's about Jesus. Why is God working all for our good? Why has God foreknown us, predestined us, called us, justified us, and glorified us? It's verse 29. So that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. The great purpose of all things, including your salvation, is that Jesus be loved, Jesus be exalted, Jesus be lifted up. All of history is the Father seeking to honor the Son. You were created from His purpose to see His Son honored, to see His Son loved. You were created to live an eternal life centered on Christ, where He gets all of the glory that your heart can give. And you get the immeasurable joy of seeing Him and savoring Him forever. I ask you, what does Christ mean to you? How sweet is the Lord Jesus Christ to you? Is there a sincere, burning desire in your heart for the Lord Jesus even now? Do you prefer Jesus above all else? Do you love to think about His character and His works? Has He won your heart? Have you beheld His glory in your heart and felt what it is? In Song of Solomon, the language is used of of the the bride. She's, She's sick with love for her bridegroom. Here's one test of whether or not you're part of the bride. Are you sick with love for the bridegroom? When you hear me talk about glorification, you think about being with Christ forever. Is there anything in you that says, Oh God, make it happen now. 
Let Jesus come back right now. Maybe this, sometimes I feel this way. Who cares what kind of body we're going to have? We're going to be with Jesus, right? That's the main thing. That's what it means to be glorified. We are going to be with our Savior forever. Do you have that kind of love for the Lord Jesus Christ? If desire for Christ is foreign to you, then you are foreign to Christ. But if Christ has your heart, then everything in this chain is yours and you are secure in the love of God forever. A.W. Tozer famously said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We could modify that and say this. What comes into your mind and what comes into your heart when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He the refuge of your soul? Is He your soul's delight? If so, then you are one of His brethren, and He is the firstborn, and you will enjoy the inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth with Him, with all your brothers and sisters forever and ever. This is the goal. This is glorification. And this sweet salvation that we have is ours only because of the grace of God. And said to him, be all the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.